Coming up next, Alan Shartok, Rosemary Armeo, Judy Patrick, and Mirak Smith with a conversation about the media issues of recent days. We'll be talking about one of the most important stories of our lifetime, that is the end of Roe v. Wade. We'll talk about those January 6th hearings, and we'll talk about whether it's possible to be a journalist and a human. Those are the topics that are coming up. Be sure to listen. It's next. Such interesting people. They wallow in corruption. Papermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Here we go with the Media Project, a half hour of analysis and commentary. Alan is already at it, so folks, we've got to be careful here. It's going to be a tough, tough show. I'm Rex Smith here with Alan Shartok, Rosemary Armeo, and Judy Patrick. We are a group of veteran journalists talking to you about what's been going on in the media. We have seen what one media analyst, that would be Brian Selter of CNN, the chief media correspondent, calls one of the most important stories of our lifetime, that is the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Alan, what do you think about the way that this has gone down in terms of has it been hyped? Has there been too much? Or has there not been enough or not enough analysis? What's well, your sense of this? Well, Rex, thanks for calling on me. I truly believe that there hasn't been enough. I think this is one of the worst things that has ever happened in our society because it is a signal that there will always be people who try to put women down. And as far as I'm concerned, that's going in absolutely the wrong direction. And the media has a great deal to do with uh, how all of that works depending on how much attention they give it, depending on who they go to interview about it. You know, you can tell me, we just play it straight, just the facts, we give everybody a chance. But no, the very fact that either the New York Times or NBC or anybody else goes and talks to a particular person at a particular place in a story indicates preference. So, and I see that my dear colleague, who I love and respect so much, Rosemary Armeo, is making faces. Too not bad. Only if you that, can see pictures on your radio. Not you only know, that, she has put her hand <laughs> over her eyes. What are we talking about? 
You know, it's, it's influence who to talk to is too much enough. I'm not getting a grasp of the You don't know that? Okay, yet. as a lifelong journalist. Of this conversation. As a lifelong journalist, you're telling me that who you pick to interview for a particular story doesn't influence the story oh, it, even, you know. It totally does, but I thought the question was covering the Roe v. Wade decimation. Are we doing too much or too little? Well, some so people say that the media them. as an institution is biased on the issue of abortion since an overwhelming majority of journalists favor a woman's right to choose. Do you believe that, Rex? Do I believe that? You know, you're, you're not going to get away with always asking questions as opposed to taking I, I a position. I kind of think it's about time for hear from the women on the panel first. Yeah, I'm sitting back enjoying listening yeah, to the right. men talk this about abortion, great. huh, Judy? Mm -hmm. How about that? Go ahead. Yes, I do think the media is biased in favor. The right-wing media is not, but that, again, is a smaller part of the media establishment in this country. I think, you know, journalists are generally smart and right-thinking, <laughs> and so they believe correctly that women should have the right to choose. It's just as interesting, however, to cover the other side, to cover the people who are jubilant, and many of them are women who think this is the right thing. It's no accident that the Susan B. Anthony group is an anti-abortion organization. They're trying to tie into feminism, and there is a long streak of protecting children and childbirth issues in the women's movement. So it's much more complex than it's usually presented as to how much we're covering it. I could not keep up with it all. I'm trying to read everything. I simply cannot. But I don't think it's too much. This is indeed, as Brian Seltzer said, an amazing event that a right given 50 years ago has been taken back, that the Supreme Court is willing to risk its reputation, really, on a ruling like this. They sought it out. It's judicial activism on the right. There's lots of issues involved in it, way beyond a woman's right to choose, although that is, of course, the most important. So, Judy, only 9% of Americans say that they favor abortion being outlawed in all cases. So it would not be surprising, as Rosemary points out, that there is a preponderance of journalists who feel that way, but does it come through in the reporting? Is it biased? You know what, you're right. There's a school of thought now that reporters need to be more honest about where they stand on issues as they report them, because reporters are people too. Maybe they do need to say one way or another, but you know, everybody's opinion on abortion is nuanced. Everybody has slightly mm -hmm. different opinions about it. I watched the coverage, it almost came in waves. The first wave was very strong, very breathtaking, breaking news. And I think some of the coverage got distracted early on, went away from abortion a little bit when they focused too much on the Clarence Thomas um, concurring opinion, which is important and which we really need to talk about. But there are so many side issues about abortion. What's going to happen in all the states? Will they be challenged? The chaos that will ensue when a woman goes from one state to another, there's talk about that, but people say, well, how is that possible? Nobody has followed the money, nobody, uh, and say, well, who's funded all these campaigns? And the other really important issue is that we need to talk about the misinformation that's out there, especially from the people who are anti-abortion, who talk about the dangers that may ensue if you take mm -hmm. an abortion pill. I, I heard plenty of Crazy. that in the coverage in the first day or two where people who supported the Roe overturning were saying things that simply were not true. And the media was giving them a voice. They were no giving problem. them a megaphone. Well, they were trying to do both sides. And in doing both, both sides. Both sides. Yeah, they were trying to do both sides. And I heard some pushback to people saying, well, that's not true. Well, let's just show that, you know, this many people died from the, that mm. procedure. So I think that's what needs to be done going forward. There needs to be a far greater emphasis on calling out misinformation and tracking the changes as they happen in the state legislature. So how neutral are you, Judy? I mean, you're a reporter. Who wants to be neutral? 
Well, I, I what are you supposed to be? Why do you say we're supposed to be neutral? Well, I don't know. All I know, Rex, and I appreciate your uh, Well, you your asked question. me to speak, so I just thought your, I would. Your, your que- <laughs> I appreciate your question. But you are female. You are somebody who, you know, has a stake in all of this. And yet you're a professional reporter. You are a distinguished editor of a major newspaper in our area. So I'd like to get into your brain and figure out how you turn it off and turn it on. So when I was an active journalist, I tried to turn it off in my head. I tried not Could to you? Take, I tried not to take positions on candidates, for example. I would vote. I definitely would vote. But to, I could bet how you voted. I don't know if you always Yes, I could. Uh, but at this point, what I want to do is respect everybody's opinion. I respect people who were in favor of overturning Roe versus Wade. I respect where most of them were coming from. I understand where they're coming from, and I think it's important to give voice to them. I have a hard time, I have to admit. I'm a raging feminist, decidedly pro-choice, although, like you say, it's nuanced. I can see that there need to be restrictions. I don't see anything wrong with getting parental approval. If your 15-year-old girl is pregnant and abortion, I think your parents should probably know about that. Well, I, so don't, I get not necessarily, it. not if the father was I, no, a rapist or a, That's you know. not rape is different. This is parental consent, different issue. However, that's my bias. I've admitted to it. When I have to talk to an evangelical man spouting off on the evilness of abortion, I'm sorry, my stomach crinkles up. I have a really hard time being respectful of that. I admit it. Which is why it's a good thing sometimes that reporting is often done by young people who haven't yet gotten so attached to, attached to their opinions yeah. and so on. Is I that think what that's you think? Because I've seen the opposite, and I've had a lot to do with young people as a college professor, as the head of the Legislative Gazette for years. I get the feeling that people walk in much more committed to uh, strident positions than they do after they've been around for a while. But the great thing about the practice of thoughtful journalism, Alan, is that there are... It's so s- condescending. Uh, the, well, I'm it. just trying to help you understand that yes, see, personal are, bias yeah. is not always the guiding factor, that there are structures built into our newsrooms, there are traditions and ways that things are done to try to stop bias from getting into our coverage Obvious when it bias. needs to have that fairness. There are ways to bring diverse viewpoints into coverage of even something as hot as abortion. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's important to get a wide range of topics. It's going to be a topic that we're going to be covering for years and years to come because of the nuances here of the way that this was struck down. There are going to be so many issues that we have to have thoughtful, wide-ranging coverage. So condescending, Rex. I mean, you know, you could do that better than anybody that I know. Well, I'm uh, sorry you, you feel know, you, diminished. You, this is textbook sort of <laughs> Journalism 101, be nice, be fair. But you know you have an opinion on this stuff, and I can pretty well tell you those opinions. Well, I do. I do have an opinion. My point was, which perhaps you missed while you were thinking of the next thing to say, is that uh, there are a lot of ways that good journalism builds in structures to try to diminish my opinion from getting into straightforward news stories I what if Judy I'm a reporter. Th- I well, you know, thinks. I'm thinking about this and as I listen to you talk, and I, you know, there are times when you when you do come in with an opinion and you're interviewing someone and you get to the point where you think you want to argue with them, and that's not what you're there to do. You're there to raise questions, and some of those questions can come across as argumentative, but I've seen a little bit of that in the coverage of the abortion decision well, the last but week to or Rosemary's so. point, if you are a TV journalist, since that's how most people get their information these days, and somebody you're interviewing asserts this falsehood that a lot of people die with the morning after pill, yeah. you know, or the falsehood of Donald Trump claiming that the election's overturned. 
you have to be argumentative. Well, not I'm argumentative. not calling it argumentative. I, ah. I'm saying that you can say that's not true, uh-huh. but you can say it in a way that's not argumentative. Huh. I, I don't oh think my, I argumentative. don't think that's true. Can you prove it? <laughs> I, no, you can not that way, but you can say that's not true. Here's the real information, but you got to come to the gunfight with the information. With the, you have to be you got to have the stats. You're telling me that it's inappropriate to say no effing way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a, between Rosemary and Rex, there's a way to ask that question. <laughs> you don't you think, Alan? You would you would be generous and kind. To people who say That's things, me, all that... right. <laughs> I mean, interviewing is really personal. I mean, I'd be more likely to say, "Oh, come on, you can't convince me of that." You certainly can do that. But by the way, that's a very a... good point. Interviewing is such a skill as a journalist, and it does, I think, it is personal. It does involve being who you are. Right. The best interviewers are clear about who they are and that their personalities reflect in the way they interview people, and that genuineness, that authenticity, comes across and is actually a tool. So how would you sort of qualify me? I mean, you know, based on what you just said, would you think that my position, honesty, ability to sort it all out comes out in the way I interview? Yeah, grouchy old coot. (laughs) (laughs) I gave you an opportunity. I know. Thanks, Alan. You're a generous sort also. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think you're the oh, come on kind of interviewer. You're not the no effing way. In fact, the use of the term effing has become... I have been thinking about that, Judy. You are so right. I mean, did we ever think we'd come to a point where almost any time you turn a television or even a politician on, you'd hear the word effing? And yeah. we all know what effing is. Beep. <laughs> right. Well, just like we don't say the N-word anymore, ever, anywhere. But we do say the N-word. We don't say, you see? use that phrase, right. And does it have the same impact? I don't think it has the same impact. I think that's appropriate because sometimes you have to describe it. During my tenure as editor of the Times Union, earlier in this century, let's say, and many times before that, the Times Union did use the N-word in stories about the use of, of the, the N-word. N-word. Yeah. And so even that has changed in journalism. People don't actually use it. And I wonder if there will come a time when some of the, the, the seven forbidden words that the FCC used to say you can't say, which I guess is still the case, which is why we're not using effing on this show. But I wonder if there isn't going to come a time when we consider it okay. George Carlin, ever relevant years yeah. after his death. How about that? But the way that effing gets into the mind, you see how these little things eat upon you, is, of course, Cassidy Hutchinson's riveting testimony before the January 6th. You committee. better remind everybody who she is because, believe me, Do they'll you be really think so. Think so. Really think so. Remind yeah. people, oh, she's famous now. <laughs> yeah. You sounded a little condescending. Yeah. <laughs> who, me? Me condescending? Anything but. Just people don't know, as I do, who Cassidy Hutchinson was, former deputy to the former White House chief of staff, Mark Meadows, whose riveting testimony for the January 6th committee, as I said, was... I couldn't take my eyes off that tube. Yeah, but I'll tell you where they were taking their eyes off the tube, and that is Fox. The other networks, MSNBC, CNN, and the broadcast networks all carried it live. And on, on those channels, viewership goes up when they bring on those hearings. On Fox, viewership drops off. The Fox viewers are turning off the TV. So they know, based on playing a story or not playing the story, how many clicks they're going to get. Yeah, so the Fox viewers are turning over to a channel where they can get World Wrestling Federation. It's unclear to me in reading this story about the collection of that data, whether it's news itself they're turning off on, like the entire news program. Fox viewers are not interested in news. They want to just hear the commentary. Or was it specifically the January 6th hearing? I could not tell from what 
what I read. I mm-hmm. thought that my understanding of it is that they come back on then when they, of course, they get to the commentary. Is that your question? Yeah. 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 Hannity's not losing. Carlson. Exactly. They're covering those topics. Exactly. But those they, get the viewership. So return. it isn't the topic of January 6th. It's they don't want to hear news. They want to hear people commenting, giving opinion on ah. it. That's, that's how I read it. Hmm. They leave the network when the hearing comes on, the viewers. They come back when Fox's regular programming returns. Mm. So I think they just don't want to hear the bad news. Yeah, they don't want to listen to the blow-by-blows. They want it as filtered we do. through their... Correct, filtered through their, their commentators. commentators, exactly. You know, on the, on the hearing, the whole idea that this was a surprise, called it the last-minute surprise witness, I still think the media got played a little bit on that one because they haven't really heard a solid good reason why it needed to be a surprise. What she said this week that was any different than what she said in the prior 20 hours hours of testimony she gave to the committee. I know that she had changed lawyers, but I wish someone from the January 6th committee had come forward and explained, this is why this is a surprise, and this is why we've had to keep it secret. Maybe she was being threatened. Maybe there was a reason, but I do think that there was some hype and that we got played. Was anybody played when, in the Watergate hearings, Alexander Butterfield revealed the existence of White House tapes? That was a seminal moment, similarly, 50 years earlier. Did they know what they were going to get, Rex, when they asked the question? Yes, he yes. had already said it. Which one? On Butterfield. Butterfield. On Butterfield. Did they know the tapes existed? It existed, that this was a question. Because sometimes you get the idea, listening to these hearings or listening to the interchanges with the members, that these are things that have been set up in advance. We know we're, we're going to ask that question. You know yeah. we're going to ask that question. And yeah. you're you never ask a yeah. question that you don't know the answer to. It's only at Perry Mason where you have really surprises. Yeah. And I think a and lot of he always of this, knew what was going to happen, yeah, didn't he? Did. Yeah, he did. He suspected it, at least. Yeah. I don't know. I think some of the hearing was definitely hype because the entire rollout of the these hearings has been along the lines of suspenseful television. It's like, what will happen next week on Game of Thrones? It's the same thing. The Fox so I, viewers don't know what yeah, they're missing. they don't. It's really <laughs> fascinating. Yes, ex- yes, indeed. On the other hand, I do think there was a security issue. I do think it sets it all up. Their timing is what they're thinking of. So it isn't really gaming. And what would we have done if we had said, oh, they set us up. This is just that. And we did know. We did know ahead of time. There was reporting on it was going to be Cassidy would Hutchins. Be. Yes, and we, we knew that. Would we have done anything different? No, we still would have been there. So it doesn't matter that we were played. And since one of the responsibilities of good journalism is to make your content accessible to people, you do no good if you write stuff that people don't understand. You know, I once did 3,000 words on the functioning of the New York State Public Service Commission, which is a very important agency, even more so in those days when they regulated power utilities differently. My editors wisely said, let's take it down to 750. (laughs) (laughs) It was boring even at that. So I was doing a disservice to the readers by giving them too much. So actually, these hearings are good journalism in the sense that they are reaching people. They are set up in a way, thanks to the committee, not thanks to the journalists themselves, but they're set up to actually be able to reach people to be good storytelling. Well, Rex, I do want to question you about that, and I hope the witness will respond. And that is, I want to ask you... Uh, whether or not when we ask a question, we know the answer, we know what the answer is going to be, and we play it that way. That's a question somewhere. Oh, 
So is that a bad thing to do? Well, your job as a journalist is to elicit information. If it if it happens that you're eliciting information from someone, if I say to Alan, what's the secret to your longevity? I may know that the answer is, you know, I eat healthy, I don't sleep, and I, I'm just too <laughs> hungry to, to cause Four miles people. every morning. Yes. There you the See? See? Yeah. But it's my responsibility to elicit that from you. So I don't think that's necessarily so bad. It would be bad if you're ignoring questions that or need if to I be lie. asked. Well, if you lie, then you've got Rosemary's response. <laughs> I don't know, she would say, or give something. Give me a break. Was, yeah, give me a break. <laughs> anyway, but it is actually bringing all the tools you have to bear to make information come out. The whole thing on bias, though, is really interesting because you have to hide it at least sometime from the person you're talking to. I had an interview the other day with a guy, very rich man, and we were having a glass of water, and he held up two tumblers, and he goes, you get to pick. One was a tumbler that had a palm tree on it, and the other said Trump pants. And I didn't even think, I said, oh, my God, I'm not drinking out of that. I'll take the palm tree. And he goes, I'm a Republican. And I go, oh, dear, we can't talk politics. I'm a Democrat and a feminist. This will be very bad. And we <laughs> laughed and we went on. And it was humor that saved me because uh -huh. I should never, ever have said that. I should have said, oh, it doesn't matter. You take the one you want. And I well, you would have been lying. I would have lied. I would have lied to hide my bias. Because I, I knew, you know. Was this somebody you had to interview as a journalist, you yeah, mean? Yes. Oh, And he's a rich old man from Florida. So uh -huh. I, I could have told. I knew. I knew what it was. Mm -hmm. but so I what was your role it. in doing that interview? I'm fascinated. Was it a political story? No, it's no. not a political story. It's about the history of West Albany. So that's interesting. But in trying to be somebody who he can relate to, who Correct. he feels comfortable talking to, Correct. it's kind of important for you to be neutral was the word that Alan yeah. used. Yeah. It just happened so fast and I didn't even think about it. But I did think about it later saying, wow, I would yell at my students for doing something. Now, that's like different that's from deception, mood. though. That is quieting your <laughs> yourself. But to deceive people to claim I'm not a journalist, that is an interesting issue, isn't it, these yeah. days? Yeah, it really is. So if you're doing a for example, if someone were to say to you, well, would you ever have an abortion? I mean, how would you answer that? You know? Would you ever? Is that the question? Would, yeah, it's someone you're interviewing and they're trying to get a measure of you. People want to know who they're talking to. So they'll say to you, well, how about you? Would you ever get an abortion? How would you answer that, Judy? Yeah, I wouldn't answer it. Yeah, no. I would mm -hmm. totally deflect that. What if right. I gave you truth serum and you had it? <laughs> <laughs> Is there such a thing? Well, I mean, that oh, is kind of the question is, is it possible to be a journalist and a human? You know, uh, no. can you... I, I've uh, given lectures that you can't be both. You can't be so both. So I love that headline. Interesting, in yeah. I do not well, think uh, you can. Give us a little on that. Uh, uh, I you always use the example in lectures of Oliver Sipple. Do you remember him? He was the guy who stopped Mary Jane Moore from shooting the president, Gerald ah. Ford. He leapt out of the crowd and pushed the arm of the shooter. So a taxi driver ended up getting shot, not fatally, instead of the president of the United States. And in subsequent reporting, he that he thus, with that act, becomes a hero known throughout the world. And in San Francisco, they investigate, and it turns out he's a gay man. At a time in the, in the 80s when gay men were considered depraved and horrible, right, sinners, and he was living relatively an open life. He had a partner. He was not. That's why he was in San Francisco. But he was originally from the Midwest. His parents did not know he was gay. His employer didn't know he was gay. And he begged Herb Cain not to print that he was gay. This was not part of the story. It had nothing to do with saving the and life. they did it anyway. Of course they did. And I would never even have considered not doing it. That was the story. Harvey Milk said, see, gay people are not depraved. We are heroes, too. And he was right. That is mm -hmm. the story. So they printed it. 
Mm. Over Sipple sued, lost the suit, made... and ended up committing suicide. Uh-oh. So it was not it was not a warm and human thing. He was not treated humanely, but he became a story, and the duty of the journalist is to the story. Now, Judy, you're a lifelong editor or quite a number of years. A reporter comes to you with that kind of information in a story. Do you ever say this has no place here? The big question is, is it relevant to the story? It has to be relevant to the story. We talk about one of the tenets of journalism is not to do any harm. No, but, no, we but, don't but, say that. Or do no, no. Minimize, minimize harm. Minimize harm. Minimize harm. Right, because you do harm with every story, yeah. essentially. But it has to be relevant. To do something like that, it has to be relevant. But see, it, it's hard to talk about it now because our views towards homosexuality have changed so much. But in the 1980s, to think that a gay man could do something that was so incredibly brave. I mean, he risked his life for the president. There was no reason for him to do that. And he was a gay man. That was news, which modern audiences can't see. Did the president bring him to the White House? No, he did not, because he was a gay man. He wrote a letter saying, hey, thanks a lot for saving my life, but was not invited to the White House. Never ask a question you don't know the answer to. So sometimes there are consequences to our journalism that I don't know that the suicide you can trace as directly responsive to the You can't, but it was certainly, itself. it did not make his life happy, right. Rex. Just right. leave it at that. Absolutely so. And sometimes, you're right, sometimes we do harm people with journalism. It is the Hippocratic Oath, not the journalism right. ethical code that says do no harm. It is minimize harm to the extent possible given your truth-telling responsibility. Well, that that sounds so pompous. It's true. It's, I'm sorry, usual. but there is a code of ethics in journalism. I'm sorry that it's not recognized by those in academia, perhaps. <laughs> now, it, it, don't, don't you <laughs> see it in shot. your personal life, too? Not just a story of national or international significance like that one. I once had a, a friend. She was just a friend. She was actually married to a co-worker of my husband's at the time. And at dinner one time, she's talking about how they wanted to put on Fiddler on the Roof at Albany High School. And the Catholic Church has said, no way. And I'm in my head saying, oh, my God, that's a great story. I sprinted back to the newspaper and turned it in. She never spoke to me again. Uh-huh. She was right. I betrayed. She thought she was speaking yeah. to a friend. And I, all I could see was a story. I did that uh, as a reporter. I was working for Newsday on Long Island, and I came up to the Adirondacks to write about this new set of apartments and condos that was being built right in the shadow of Gore Mountain. They sit up there now in North Creek. And I was going through this, looking at this as though I was an interested potential buyer. And the young woman showing me the place said, oh, you know, I grew up here. And sometimes I look at this side of the mountain and think, oh, gosh, why did it have to be built here? And I'm going, she didn't know as a reporter, I quoted her in my story, which is ethically wrong. I felt terrible about it. She literally called me down on Long Island and said, if I had known you were a reporter, I would not have said that. that. And so that is actually an ethical breach. It Um, is? Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. He well, was, he was deceiving her. Yes, yeah, he wasn't deceiving her. Yeah, he, he just didn't, he didn't announce himself. Well, that's a deception. That is a deception he, he in the code of ethics. See, Alan, there are ethical standards in journalism. It's not highfalutin stuff. Very damn few. <laughs> <laughs> See, I thought I was safe because I was not reporting. I was not deceiving her. I, she just offered this information. I didn't even report the story myself. I gave it to the education the reporter. I heard this. Yeah, the tip. Yeah. 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 Well, that has happened. I mean, where you pass off. Like, when I first met the woman who's now has been for 33 years my wife, we were sitting at dinner and I realized that I wished to have more of a relationship with her than than a personal one. I was supposedly interviewing her for a story, and I actually ended up handing off the story to you another reporter. You don't think reporter. romantic is personal? 
Beg your pardon? You don't think romantic and personal are the same? You, oh, you can't report on someone you're, you can't you're interested in. Yeah, yeah, I have a good friend who was covering the Navy and met a JAG officer who gave her tons of information. It was the best source ever. But they got close, and she said, okay, it's a choice between him or the stories. Oh, she, damn. What'd yeah. she choose? Well, they're married now. <laughs> They've been married, believe. married, and two kids. So. She turned a good source into a spouse. What I know, a, I know, what a loss. The three of you are all so self-serving. I can't believe it. <laughs> you've, all you've right. Never had, you've never faced these kind of moral problems uh, in no. your radio career. Yeah, we'll uh, talk about those in the next show. That's all we have time for. Alan Shartuck, Rosemary Armeo, Judy Patrick, and I'm Rex Smith. With gratitude, of course, to our terrific producer, David Gustina, and to you folks for joining us this week on The Media Project. Now publishers are such interesting people. Their policy is an acrobatic thing. They claim to represent the common people. Funny Wall Street never has complained. Ah, but publishers have worries, for publishers must go to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press.